Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. The Bible divides the world into nations on the basis of family, and that concept is seen in the church. To be a part of God's kingdom, one must be born into his kingdom. Jesus loosens the bonds of sin and makes us a part of God's household, and thus a part of God's holy nation. Our last program, we were talking about how the church is a kingdom or a nation. And as I left off on last week's program, I mentioned that we become a citizen in this kingdom through our birth. This is a consistent message all throughout the Bible. If we go clear back to Genesis chapter 10, to the chapter that is often called the Table of Nations, we see how God views the nations of this world. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, as he draws this to a close, Moses says, These were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. To begin, what Moses has to say about the descendants of Shem is what he also says about the descendants of Ham and Japheth. These were the three sons of Noah whom God saved through the flood by, by placing them on the ark. So the exact same things that are said about Shem are said about Ham and Japheth. The comments of Moses is these nations that descended from these three men came into existence through common territory, through common language, and most relevant to us, through a common ancestry. Now this is often how nations, particularly in the, in the ancient world, were, were thought of. They were thought of as descendants from families. For example, Rome had legends about its founding that it was founded by two brothers and that the first Roman citizens descended from those two men and from other uh, founding families, if you will. So citizenship in Rome began with, with these core families, if you will, then it came to include anyone who lived in the city. But then citizenship spread out from there. As Rome conquered more and more territory, cities that they ruled over became citizens of Rome. And as the empire spread out further and further into the Mediterranean world, you see that any free man was given citizenship in the Roman Empire. And eventually, in 212 AD, that right of citizenship was extended even to slaves within the empire. But all of it began, citizenship in Rome began with these central families. And even here in America, we, we have terminology that echoes this idea. We talk about our founding fathers, the men who were responsible for coming up with the ideas and the documents that broke us away from Britain and then helped organize a, a government that now rules over us, our founding fathers. In fact, 
George Washington is called the father of our nation. Even we use language that harkens back to this idea of, of common descent, if you will. And what we also see taking place in the church, going back to Genesis 10, is, is, is a pattern. The church falls into the same sort of pattern that we see in Genesis 10. You see, the church is united together by a common language. We are told to teach and uphold one faith. Paul urged the Corinthians to be of one mind, to be of one speech. So we have this language, our, the language of our faith, if you will, that, that unites Christians across the globe. The nation of God rules over a, a common territory. And as we talked about on last week's program, that's the human heart. The kingdom of God is within you. And we finally see that the church, the kingdom of God, that our citizenship comes through a, a common ancestry. We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, Jesus talks about what sin does to us. And in that passage, he uses some terminology that would have been very familiar to the people with whom he was speaking. It's less familiar to us because the, the idea of slavery is, is something, thankfully, that's in our history. It's not something that we, that we have here in America any longer, not at least literal slavery. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He goes on to say in verse 34, Most assuredly I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. If you think about it, sin is a form of, of spiritual slavery. One sin is never enough really to satisfy us. And there are some sins that are, are more powerful in how they form habits. And it almost comes to a point with some of these sins that we just don't think we can live without it or we can't hardly imagine life without them. But at the same time, we also discover that, that one sin, that one committing of this act does not satisfy and so we want more and more and more as jesus says whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and there's no way to escape from this sin unless we have jesus christ you see jesus promises us liberty from that sin one of the things that he talks about in this passage is how he turns us from a slave into a son. He goes on in verse 35 to say, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What Jesus promises is that he will deliver us from the slavery to sin and make us a son of his father's house. 
Now, when Jesus was teaching and later on when Paul and the other apostles were writing the New Testament, slaves could not be citizens of Rome. It was impossible for a slave to be a citizen of Rome. What Jesus is promising us is something that would have been difficult for the people of that time to grasp. And yet, any slave, any person who has been serving a master and desired freedom would, in my mind, find the thought of, of becoming a son to be an, an even greater position than simply being free. And you see, this is what Jesus Christ offers us. He offers to take us out of slavery to sin and make us a son in the house of God. He offers to liberate us. If you go over to Galatians chapter 3, Paul expounds upon this idea even further. And I've already mentioned this, I quoted it just a couple of minutes ago, but let's take the time to read it. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our faith in Jesus Christ helps us to become a child of God. In verse 27, Paul says that in baptism we are clothed with Christ. Who is Christ? Well, he's the Son of God. And if in baptism you are clothed with him, what, what is he saying? Well, it means you're, you're putting him on in baptism or you're becoming a son of God. So baptism that is performed with faith in the heart of the one being baptized, this is a part of becoming a son in the household of God. In verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is saying, it doesn't matter who you are, you all can become a son of God. And the fact that he says son of God is significant. There are newer translations that want to insert child of God or children of God in that passage. But the whole point here is that you are made an heir, an heir of God through Jesus Christ. You are brought into the household and God confers on you sonship. And once again, this would have been something very significant to Paul's original audience because only a son could receive the inheritance. And then in verse number 29, he says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now he's made the point earlier in the chapter that the promise to Abraham in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That that promise, that seed, is Jesus Christ. 
if you believe in Jesus, if through baptism you have been clothed with Jesus, you are brought into the family of Abraham. We have a common ancestor in Jesus Christ, if you will. And once again, the nature of our heredity is spiritual. It's not a literal physical descent from Abraham. It's spiritual because we share that same faith that justified Abraham so long ago. As Christians, we all hearken back to a common ancestor, Abraham. We become a part of God's family, God's household, God's nation. And this is Paul's point in passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19, when he talks about how the law put a, a wall between Jew and Gentile. But that wall is broken down in Jesus Christ. And so Paul concludes that we are members of the household of God. We have all been born into God's family. As I draw this to a close, I want to remind you of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse number 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born into the kingdom to be a citizen of the kingdom. You've got to have the correct descent from our father Abraham, our spiritual father Abraham, in order to be counted a part of God's household. So just as in Genesis chapter 10, those nations were organized by family, so too the nation of God is organized by family as well. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.